Welcome in everyone to the State for Day podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Matthews, bringing you all things AZ. And today we have a very special guest on the show, a longtime friend. I've known you for some years now. We're like looking back and thinking about all the old interviews we did together and time just flies. But we have Corey Hahn here with us. If you haven't heard his story before, you're in for such a treat, such an amazing story of triumph, overcoming. And really just for me, it's going to be fun because it's going to be catching up since our last interview which was in 2013, I'm going to yep. say, or 14. Yeah, long time ago. A long Give time ago, but do a quick intro of who you are. Yeah, first off, it's uh, it's really exciting to be part of the podcast and, and be part of this and truly an honor to be asked to be on it, which is cool, and share my story and, and in our case, catch up. So, yeah. um, But, you know, my story is a pretty interesting one for sure. You know, I'm, I've, you know, I'm 32 years old now, which seems like time flies since Where? we last connected, yes, especially we were like when we were, we were last... Uh, one of our interviews last time was when I was graduating college at ASU, but, um, yeah, the story is, is quite unique. Um, you know, born and raised in Southern California and grew up a baseball player my entire life, which I think is the back backbone of the story, Mm -hmm. um, and whatnot, but was very fortunate to have a lot of really cool baseball opportunities throughout my life, whether that was win a state championship with my high school team or win a gold medal with Team USA as an 18-year-old down in Venezuela and uh, be drafted by the San Diego Padres out of high school and, and whatnot. But one of, the, one of the more special treats, too, in addition to all those, was you know being able to, to come play baseball at Arizona State University, which everybody here knows uh, the historic value of playing at ASU and, and being a baseball player, part of that program, which is one of the most uh, talented and historic ones in the entire country. And... Um, it's amazing, and the backstory behind that, or at least the, the the information to that, helps like build up to the uh, the suspense. But um, you know, my freshman year at that point, I share those things because I was at like the absolute peak of my my playing career and probably my life, if you could say that as well as a 19 year old who's accomplished you know a lot and been able to witness a lot of really cool things and opportunities. And in a moment, um, I went from being at the highest of my highs to the lowest of my lows, mm-hmm. and. Really where that kind of turns into is, uh, you know, our first series my freshman year. Um, it was a Sunday afternoon baseball game, and I was on first base, and uh, we performed a double steal um, where the guy at second was running to third, and I was running to second. And when I slid in to second, I unfortunately slid in head first and had a collision with the second baseman, which my head went directly straight into his knee. and. In that moment, it resulted into what we learned to know as a burst fracture of your C5 vertebrae. Um, But in the moment, I just remember laying on the ground. And next thing I know, I I can't feel and I can't really move. And um, realizing that I'm in a bit of a predicament. And as I'm being tended to on the field and, and... asked by paramedics and by my coaching staff and my father who was in the stands uh, surrounding me, you could see the worrying in their face and the worry in their, their voices. And mm-hmm. um, not long after I was taken to the hospital where I was diagnosed with a burst fracture of my C5 vertebrae where the bone was pinching my spinal cord and I needed to go into immediate surgery, which resulted in a fusion of my vertebrae from C4 to C6. Um, and woke up the following day told that I have suffered what we call a spinal cord injury and rendered a quadriplegic, which for layman's terms meant that I wasn't going to be able to walk again. Wow. I love how you say that that was the, like the backbone of what your story is, because we're going to start here, obviously, um, with the beginnings of, you know, 
truly like the injury part of this, but it's not your full story. Right? Yeah, it was, not, we know it's not. It's, and just we're the gonna be, really... it's certainly just the beginning. Yeah, um, which is amazing to say, uh, given the fact that like it is such a pivotal uh, moment in my life that uh, essentially not just altered mine, but my entire family's. Yeah, well, I love too just knowing you throughout the years. Like you don't make it only about the injury like you have so many different facets passions things that you've gotten into um obviously it's the backbone because now everything that you do is in service to even like your project 34 which we'll get into but everything leading up to that point um you believed you were going to go on and and play baseball for the rest of your life but now you're still infusing that in different ways which is really awesome to see so i just love your story i commend you for just how you've overcome throughout the years watch you graduate land your dream job with the arizona diamondbacks um and so i'm excited for everyone to hear more of that as we get into um, to kind of switch things up, because I know the listeners are probably like on the edge of their seats, like what happens yeah. next? I do want them to get to know you, Corey, a yep. little bit more, um, because you are more than the injury, I believe. And we have some fun questions for you. Yeah, let's Before we it. dive deep we're, into we're, all we're of this. We are definitely just yes. at the surface. Because you know me, I'm emotional over here, but <laughs> I don't want to start crying already. <laughs> um, but let's get into some quick questions that I like to ask my guests. Yeah. And we'll go from there. So this one's an easy one, I guess. I think I can answer for everyone and for you. But when I was younger, I wanted to be, and you have to fill in the blank. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wanted to be a Major League Baseball player. Boom. But not just not just a Major League Baseball player, but one of the best of yeah. the best. And the trajectory was winning, you know, Team USA at 18. Can you talk about that roster you were a part of? I was yeah. looking back at that. I'm like, holy smokes. It's, it's a humble brag. Um, I, I feel like I should preface this with that we're the first uh, Team USA team to eclipse a billion dollars in salary compensation. Wow. Um, and I like to feel like I contributed the last Hell 1% yeah. of that. Um, <laughs> Take every bit. <laughs> so I like to feel like my salary is what pushed them over the edge. Exactly. Um, but no, I was really fortunate to, um, not just fortunate to represent our country and, and wear the, the USA across your chest, which until you actually do that, you, you kind of have an idea of what it feels like, but until you actually do it, you don't truly understand the magnitude of what this feels like every time yeah. you suit up. And um, you know, we were fortunate enough to put together quite a remarkable team, a team that consisted of, in my opinion, not just some of my best friends, but future Hall of Famers. You know, you're looking at Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, uh, Kevin Gosman, Jamison Tyon. I mean, <laughs> uh, it's it's pretty remarkable. Just that's just to name a few. You're looking at like over over a dozen big leaguers. Everybody from like these high end superstars to Nick, you know, to Nick Castellanos, um, to Tony Walters, and it just goes on. Kyle Ryan, Robbie Ray, um, former D back Robbie Ray. Yeah, like D-back. it's just amazing. You see these guys, and if you and if you want the time and the energy, go do it. You guys should go look up this roster and then go see what their career earnings are oh, like. I did, and, and I was um, like. <laughs> You'll understand what I meant by we eclipsed a billion dollars and how I think I pushed this over the edge on this. But, um, yeah, very fortunate to not just be playing with um, a group of amazingly talented players, but players that I still um, consider some of my closest friends, which just shows you not only the magnitude of playing for Team USA, but how close-knit we were as a group. Absolutely. Okay, next question, and I think I probably got a good taste of this before we started rolling I have to guess your favorite hobby is. Yeah, I. That's actually unique. I don't really. I wouldn't say I'm like a big hobby guy, but I definitely enjoy my coffee, uh, as we talked to you about. 
Um, <laughs> like I'm, very specifically. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not ashamed <laughs> to say it, but I'm an iced vanilla latte guy. Um, I don't need it too sweet. I need extra ice, but um, you give me a good espresso and um, and then a nice latte, and I'm pretty happy. I but um, from a hobby perspective, I. I don't necessarily say I have a ton of them that I'm religious to. I like to, um, I more self look myself as someone who's very curious about the world um, and experiences. And so I would say that's probably more so what I like to to enjoy when I'm not working or spending specific time doing certain things. And yeah. so um, I do like to enjoy the world the best I can. I like to try a lot of different food places. I'm a big foodie, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. So I'm not your typical, like I go out and play pickleball or I golf um, or things of the sorts, but I, I you could definitely find me trying to find the next hot restaurant or a good cup of coffee with uh, quality time with friends and family. I was gonna say too, you're so busy, you need that coffee just to keep going. Like I do. you sound I do. like I do. you have a lot I, on your plate. I do, I, I think I, can survive without the energy kicks, but um, I think I, I think for those who relate to um, enjoying a nice, nice cup of coffee, like there's just something about the way it sets your morning up for hopefully for success. So there we go, and very strategic, you guys, about his cup of coffee. I found out. So are you like a are you one cup a day? Are you multiple cups? No, of I'm, coffee a, I'm a I'm a one one cup, sixteen ounces of coffee. I'm one and up. done. Does it yep. take you a while? Like, do you sip through the day? Not really. No, uh, I think I think part of that is that like I. I'm also uh, very particular about the ice in the sense that, like, if the ice starts <laughs> to melt, it starts to just water down everything. And I yeah. I try to get through my coffee before the ice takes its, takes yeah, its part. Then I get the icks. I'm like, I actually yeah. am trying to finish it, but I don't want to finish it yeah. at this point. Okay. Something that would surprise you about me is? Oof. I think, I think for me something that would probably be surprising is just um, probably how much I thrive within the chaos of life. Um, For as much as I probably have going on, I enjoy and I think I'm at my best when things are chaotic and I have a lot of responsibility and or uh, my calendar's quite full. Um, I feel like I find myself if I have nothing to do, I get a bit stir crazy and anxious. And so I, I tend to enjoy um, a full plate. So your quote would be embrace the chaos. Uh, that's a D, that's a D back thing. That's a 2023 D back. Uh, that's right. Playoff but maybe, vibe, which, Hey, we, uh, maybe they stole from you. Yeah. You know, I think, I think as we dive into this further, they'll understand the, the ties of the D backs for sure. They but, will understand. um, yeah, good quotes. Okay. I, I have two honestly, that I actually do genuinely gravitate to, um, that come to mind. Um, I think I try to embrace a lot of different quotes because I think you can learn so much through other people's, uh, thinking and, and inspiration and motivation. Um, not just like say my own or someone I'm close to, but I do love listening to a stranger share about life, but there's two. Um, the first one that I think is very indicative of my own personal life is um, the saying that the same boiling water that softens the potato hardens the egg. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what I love about that is it truly exemplifies that it's not, um, it's not the circumstances that dictate who you are, but what you're made of. And I think that's extremely powerful and very relative to my journey and my career as what I've gone through, especially as someone who's suffered a spinal cord injury. And I can share a lot of the details to that as we kind of move forward with this. But that quote tends to really hit home for me because it's very simple, but it's also very effective into understanding that um, 
it's what we're made of that allows us to do what we do in life or push or how far we get. And it reminds you that the ball is always in your court, no matter when you think it might not be, um, or you think the odds are against you. You still have so much uh, internal motivation within you to push forward. So mm-hmm. that quote definitely sticks out. And then there was one other that I've I've latched onto since I was I I would say probably a teen a young teenager, and I applied it a lot to my baseball career, but it's been able to translate over to my um, my life now. But um, it's a quote about being successful and. The, the quote goes, to be successful, you have to have two things. First, it's concrete goals. And then second, a burning desire to achieve those goals. Mm-hmm. And that became really powerful um, for me in, in compartmentalizing how I approach what my goals might have been in my life and my career um, and understanding that the first thing you have to be able to do is identify not just like fluid goals, but stuff very concrete. And what that allowed me to do was really not look at stuff in a very macro level, but very micro level of what goals truly matter to me or how I wanted to charge through them and set them up you know, strategically throughout life. And then the second piece of that was like, it's great. I think we wake up every day and we all sit there and go, I have this goal to, to achieve this or to be successful at that. But the second piece of that and the most important piece is you have to have this internal burning desire to achieve your goals. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that, it's going to be very difficult for you to check off those boxes. And I I love that it's, it's displayed that way to where it's just two pronged where you have to establish a, and then you have to be able to put in the effort, put in the energy and have that internal belief that you can get there. Mm. Um, if you don't have that, you, you'll just stare at a list of goals and you'll never see a checkbox filled. Yeah. Um, so those are the two that, and I, and I have many quotes cause I just love them. Motivational but, speaker here. But I, those I'll are, sign up for your <laughs> <laughs> seminar. I do speak. I, I, I do do speaking engagements. Um, but those are two that I think I always enjoy highlighting cause they're very easy to comprehend. They're very easy to explain. But when you start thinking about them on a much more than a surface level, they become very impactful and they allow you to really dig deep about yourself and figure out, um, a lot of your self motivation, which, at the end of the day, I think you, you have to be able to have that in order to push through um, the rigors of life. You can have a lot of really good support group around you that help you get there, which I think is important. But if you're not the one who can get up and start the day, um, yeah, it's going to be very difficult. Do you feel like you always had this mindset or do you feel like through, you know, overcoming th- these adversities that you faced, you've developed this mindset? Good question. Um uh, I think it's both. I think it's always been within me. I think ever since I was a young a young boy, I've always had this go get it attitude. I've always been adventurous. I've always been daring. Um, I hear stories from my parents all the time about you know if they turn their head away from me from a, a second, they'd see me out running on a wall as a little kid or chasing the dog around the yard on a on a wall or or you Sounds know like my children just I'm like oh or God. like peeking out and seeing me doing backflips into the oh pool God. or. Um, <laughs> I was, I've always been very daring and I've always been very um, adventurous in regards to my life. And where I think that comes from when I was a young kid was um, just this, uh, this desire to, to always push myself to be the best I can be. Um, I never really viewed things as like, I want to be better than you or I want to be better than, than person X or Y. I always just felt that it was my responsibility to be the best person I can be mm-hmm. or be the best player I can be and then put my best versus everybody else's best. 
And then I had the confidence that my best was better than your best, uh, especially on a baseball field. And um, I, I will say I was extremely overcompetitive, um, sometimes <laughs> to a fault. But like it was, no matter if it was like between the lines on a baseball field or we were playing, you know, wiffle ball in the streets, um, I was over competitive. Mm -hmm. And um, my buddies, when I was younger, always, you know, they always gave me a hard time with that because they'd, they'd, you'd get the geez, it's just a game or relax type responses. <laughs> yeah. But to me, it was more than that. Every time I had a chance to compete, I relished that opportunity. Um, and I think that was always just ingrained in me. My parents taught me at a very young age that you want something, you got to go after and get it. You can't sit and let it come to you. You have to push forward. You have to be willing to go to great lengths to get to where you want to get to. And and they told me that from the very beginning. And and then on top of that, like the effort and the work ethic, like you had to, you know, I wasn't, for, you know, I wasn't the biggest person. Um, my parents weren't the biggest people, aren't the biggest people. So like I, as a kid, I was always playing with people that were, you know, physically bigger than me. Um, and you could see that translating to performance, but I always knew that they didn't have the drive I had, or I was going to outwork you and that mm -hmm. I trusted my abilities. And when you have that, when I, when I had that work ethic coupled with some natural gifts, um, yeah, you see how it translates. And, and then eventually you see me pass by people and I'm like, yeah, you got it. But, um, I think there were so many things that I had to overcome just naturally, which we all do. Um, but I recognized it early. So I think I was ingrained in it. Now, where I think it got magnified even further or taken to another level is through the journey I've gone through today, um, or at least since 2000, uh, 2011, where I've had more than ever had to dig deep. I've more than ever had to believe in myself um, and more than ever had to set goals and understand that um, setting goals isn't just this, I'm going to get there in two months because everybody says so. It was getting, wrapping your head around this idea that setting goals is important. Also understanding you don't exactly have a time frame when you're going to get them is equally as important and that's okay. Um, and I think a good example of that is, um, and this will dive into a little bit of like um, what quadriplegic life looks like, but um, you lose a bit of operation of your physical operation of your hands and your legs. Um, and your balance in your trunk. So essentially like I've 75 to 80% of my body doesn't function or feel um, the way a normal human body would. So you can imagine like the simplest of task of holding a toothbrush and brushing your teeth could be. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I was in inpatient rehab, it took me roughly probably 25 to 30 days to figure out how to brush my teeth again. Now I, I share that example because the goal is brush your teeth. The grind is figure out how to brush your teeth. But I, there was no playbook that says, hey, if you do this, you're going to figure it out by day 25. It was do this every day and you may get there, you may not. But like, if you want this goal, you got to push for it. Mm -hmm. And it comes back to also accepting that failure exists. For 24 days, I failed and I didn't get that. I didn't get to that point. And instead of giving up or quitting on that goal or that desire, I just kept pushing forward. And next thing you know, like day 25, you hear a, you hear a basically like a hell yeah, come from the bathroom oh. and my OT runs in and they see me brushing my teeth. And yes, there's toothpaste probably everywhere. I'm making a mess, but I accomplished it. And I share a little bit of insight into that and we're, we'll certainly dive deeper um, as we move through this. But I share insight to that because it just relays that now more than ever I've understood that yeah. you got to set goals and you got to have that burning desire to push forward to it and then you have to understand what you're made of and that those are the important pieces not the circumstances because you don't know when you're going to get to that goal 
But if you don't start or you don't try or you don't push yourself to your limits every day, you're never going to get there. That is so good. Oh, my gosh. I think that what completely exemplifies or what I've found to know about you, that competitive edge and just like going after things. One, the story of, you know, after your injury and you wake up in the hospital and your coach tells you, by the way, you were safe. Yeah, well, so I'll revert back to that. The, the, the sto- that, that, is, that story is accurate, the, I, but I wasn't in the hospital yet. Okay. So the, the story behind this was um, when I was laying on the field motionless and I couldn't move, um, I was, as I was getting my jersey ripped open by paramedics and my neck stabilized and all these things, the only thing I focused on at the time was like whether or not I was out or safe. So it was on the field yeah. that you said, oh yes. my gosh. And so I, I could see Even the, more you. <laughs> I could see the panic and I can understand it. And I was freaking out myself a bit, but I, I the one thing I wanted to know is like, was I safe or out? And, uh, cause I asked, I, you know, when this happens, you don't know really, you lose where your body is in space. And I was like, where am I? And my coach was like, you're. Well, you're on the base. And I was like, well, my outer safe. And he goes, you were safe. And um, and my response, which turned out to be a, a nice statement, a rally cry, was, damn right, I'm safe. And That's a shirt. It is. That's it a shirt been. with State 48, by the way. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> so you guys have my contact info. We can make this yeah, happen. But we can it, make this became happen. A, it became a rallying cry with the group. Um, it became a wristband, and it became a statement, mm-hmm. too, that exemplifies at least, like, the way I am um, that, you know, yeah, damn right I'm safe. And that became part of who I am as a person. And then I'll never forget footage. I think it was after one of our first interactions, interviews, but you were working on turning over without weights that first time. And how long did that take? And that persistence and just similar to brushing your teeth, but here's all of these things that you are relearning in a sense at the age of 18, 19 and beyond. Yeah. Um, the, the the journey behind the rehab aspect of it and learning to do the simplest of things, you're talking about being able to brush your teeth or put on a t-shirt or just push yourself from one room to the other or, you know, get in bed and, and roll around and, and be able to just transfer weight. And one of the hardest tasks I had initially was being able to roll by myself. And um, for context, imagine just laying down on a mat and trying to swing your arms and body to roll to the right but your body's not moving and it feels like there's a thousand pound weight sitting on you Mm -hmm. and your body refuses to move and you're trying and you're trying and you're trying and nothing is happening um when i finally got to a point where i was able to to then roll with like some weighted assistance uh that was like step one and then step two and then step three uh, led to being able to do a full roll uh, without any body weight or body assistance or any help from trainers. It was just me. And it's crazy because you share that, but it's like that didn't take place in a matter of days. That was a year to two-year process wow. where the, when I finally accomplished the, the final goal of being able to roll over, I was, I think, 18 months into uh, my injury. So you're looking at being hurt in 2022 or, 2020 or 2011. Like That happened in like the end of 2012 or 2013 mm-hmm. and wow. you can understand like the the milestones that existed in between that but it just shows you that um these things aren't this injury is a little bit different it's not your typical broken arm where the doctor says hey throw it in a cast for six to eight weeks take the cast off do some pt and you're back to normal yeah. this is a life journey this is something that is over ever evolving um and every day is an opportunity to get better but it's also a day of challenge how important 
in this journey? Because at the time you were obviously newly at ASU, getting to know your teammates, um, all of that, just getting acquired to new life that you believed in in college. But how important was that sense of community that you had kind of built in with the team? And then the way that you saw people just rally behind you as well. Yeah, the uh, the community aspect of it was, I mean, it's hard to really put in other words than it was like mega. Um, for me, because at the end of the day, like everything is kind of up to me and how I wanted to pursue this, but having, being fortunate enough to have the support system that I had, which was not just like an incredible family environment where, um, my parents were with me every step of the way, but like, we can just revert back to like when I was in the inpatient hospital, which I spent 90 days in an inpatient hospital. And for those of you that understand what it's like to spend even just one day in a hospital, you can understand the stress of that and trying to work in this new life. But I can confidently and so proudly say that in the 90 days that I was there, I didn't spend a single day alone. Um, I had friends from my high school that drove out uh, when I was in the ICU here in Arizona. I have one friend. Um, his name is Phil Lopez. He's one of my best friends. He was at the hospital every day. Wow. Every day. Um, to the point where... Uh, I had a room to myself and I had an extra hospital bed. He spent the night one night and he was there so often that a nurse mistaken him for a patient <laughs> and went to go like try and draw his blood one morning. Um, <laughs> Don't make me laugh. <laughs> and he woke up freaking out. But um, I had an amazing group with that. And so my, my, my family back home, my friend groups back home that I grew up with were tremendous. And then where that took a step further was at ASU. You know, as I'm trying to figure out this life, you have to go back and remind yourself this, but like I'm... I'm 19 and I'm just trying to get back into like a way of life. And I just got this taste of being away from home and at college and experiencing life in that realm for the first time. And you can understand like how important that is and trying to figure out my way back through life again. And and what do I need to do? And there was this very profound moment. Um, It goes back to the fact that I spent all my time with my friends and family. And when I got hurt in February, I had them all throughout inpatient all throughout the summer because either the friend, my friends were back home or they came back home from college. And we had an amazing summer, an amazing time. And then August rolled around and one by one, they all started to disappear and disappear and disappear. And it, it dawned on me. I'm like, yeah, like life, life isn't stopping for me. Like they're back at school, they're back doing their thing. Like this was a great run, but they had to go back and do their thing. And that became pretty clear to me fast that I realized I had two options. I could either sit here in my parents' house all day long and sulk or just not really charge through life anymore. And honestly, people probably wouldn't have faulted me for that. Like given what I just went through, they'd be like, yeah, you understand that. Yeah, we get it. Or I had this other option, which was option two, which was get myself into life and charge life myself and and not let this hold me back because this is not something I want to experience or enjoy. And when I figured that out, I just realized how clear cut option two was. And it's like, I'm hopping along for the ride. I'm not, I'm not letting this thing drop me back. And when I, when I was able to understand that and process that and accept that, um, came phase two, which was get back to school and get your degree um, and push through that and make that your next goal and challenge. And that's where the ASU community came in 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 an amazing way. Um, they never lost touch with me. The baseball program always was there for me every day. I even, even to the point where like one of my best friends, Trevor Williams would come visit me in rehab during the summer when he was back from summer ball. Um, and I remember these guys, him, um, my buddy, James McDonald and my buddy, Casey Kaufman, they found a house, um, in Tempe, uh, that was accessible and they, they said, Hey, we found a four bedroom house. 
we all want to live together. We're saving the master bedroom for you for when you're ready to come back. Wow. And I didn't start school right away, but I finally convinced my parents that a year later that I can go back for the second semester and give it a try. Um, we had an understanding that when I came back to ASU, if it didn't work, we would call it quits. We'd go back to California and I'd finish my degree in California close to home, but we were at least going to give it a try. And what turned into this like two to three week trial um, turned into a uh, three year endeavor where I was uh, finishing up my degree at ASU. But between that period, the, the ASU community, the baseball specific community was what got me there. Like, yeah, I had to wake up every day and go to class and I had to wake up every day and go to rehab and push myself to my limits and really understand that it's up to me and the ball's in my court. But when you have this amazing village behind you, this amazing support system that is from every walk of life pushing with you, you start to understand that every day that I woke up and every day that I chose to get better, I wasn't just getting better for myself. I was getting better or I was pushing myself to my limits every single day for those who support me. Mm. And you realize that and it's like it makes that process, it makes that determination so much stronger knowing that I'm not alone in this battle. And, you know, when it came to the the faculty and the staff and helped me with my education or the ASU baseball program and Tim Esme, who turned me into a student coach and allowed me to be part of the team, I kept my locker, I kept my locker number, I kept my jersey number. Mm -hmm. I was at every home game, every practice. Um, I was part of the team. And I wasn't just there symbolically or ceremonially. I was there to help. I was asked to, to be a coach. I was helped asked to be a teammate um, and be part of that that group and to this day it's some of the most special moments of my life that have I think have set me up to to where I'm at now yeah. so that community I can't I can't tell you how thankful I am for them I'm internally grateful and forever part of part of me yeah wow that's a sun devil story right there I mean <laughs> I know I'm a little biased here but I think I mean, we all are yeah a little bit yeah no, he's like. <laughs> I don't like, have any exact. But you love it. I just want this to be known. He's wearing maroon. I, so. Yeah, he's wearing maroon, and we did throw this in your yeah. little bundle, so you're getting a little. And we also go. just happen to partner with the other universities in we Arizona. We have great yeah. universities. I'm sorry, but your your host is a Sun Devil. Yeah. No, but I and think your guest and is a Sun yes, Devil, exactly. So. Hey, go Devils! Go Devils! There we go. Um, I remember just watching a lot, like when you were when you were going through you know, memory lane with ASU. Like, I remember some of the games and, like, them honoring you. But like you said, it wasn't just, like, a ceremonial thing here. It was you were in the trenches with the team. What aspects of that journey do you think you carried into now your role? Or what did you learn from, like, a coaching perspective or, like, a scouting? You know, because you had to switch your mindset from player to now really helping the team win in a different way. Yeah. So how much of that do you carry on to now your role with the Arizona Diamondbacks? Yeah, it's, uh, it's fascinating to think through that um, because it is taking time to truly process mm. um, being able to look at the game through a different lens. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I will admit that when I first came back to watching the game, it was quite painful to do it. Mm. Um, every day that I watched a game, I just kept sitting there saying that I should be out there and that it's not fair that I'm not out there and that um, I'm – you know, the confidence in me is like, I'm better than everybody on the field and I should be out there showing that and that I should be helping leading ASU to a national championship and do what I was meant to do. And then that never, that, that also transpired when I started working with the Diamondbacks, but um, mm. it slowly, it, it quickly started to fade away when I just truly started to understand that um, just because I'm not playing the game doesn't mean I can't impact it. And wrapping my head around that was a huge pivotal point. But what I learned through like being with ASU and through my journey with them that translated into how I 
can operate now in my job with the Diamondbacks, which um, is, in a nutshell, it's everything to do with pro player evaluation, pro player um, valuation, and roster construction, management, and things of that sort. So in layman's terms, it's a bunch of stuff that we do on a daily basis to help to make the major league team better. So whether it's a trade or um, an acquisition or an evaluation, that's what I do. When I was watching every ASU baseball game and when I was sitting with my friends and my teammates and talking through the game through a non-player lens, I understood that there was a, a pretty significant shift to that, that mm-hmm. you have to stop looking at it through the lens of a player, but now you're taking a more um, macro and widespread view of it. And you're looking at things that when you're on the field, I like to think I was a good evaluator on the field, but you're also looking at it through like your eyes and through your lenses. And you're trying to figure out how it pertains to you. Whereas like now in my job, what I had to learn, and I think I learned very well sitting in the dugout with the Sun Devils was that I'm looking at every player and I'm looking at every situation. And, um, it took a couple of years to fully process that. But once I was able to understand that that's still a very positive way to look at the game and it's going to yield positive results in my career, which is now um, you realize how, you know, how important it is to accept that. And it became something once I, once I clung onto it, it allowed me to unlock so many different aspects of the way I look at the game now that allow me to not just be um, a good baseball mind, in my opinion, but also a very vital piece to our front office. I didn't want to interrupt you there, but I was going to say it was like that crossroads moment probably for you is what I'm picturing. Most people, understandably so, there's so much trauma aligned to the game of baseball and the what ifs and you know, the grievances of what could be that mm-hmm. you probably most people shut off baseball or yeah. anything aligned to where their injury occurred. Yeah, right? and, and I want to be like abundantly clear with this that it wasn't just a simple like shift and a positive shift that made me just start from day one and, and adjust to this life. Like there are, there are challenges every day and there are a lot of demons I fought every day and Mm -hmm. I still fight them. Um, but being able to understand that and look past it and, and know that like, yes, I could sit here and dwell on this and shut the whole game out and move on my life. And I could have gone to do a bunch of other, other things and chase a different career lifestyle and whatnot. But when, you, when I was able to get back into it, I realized how special this game is to me and how not just it is to me, but how I can make a massive impact in it. Mm-hmm. And that to me was so reinvigorating and understanding that, yeah, maybe I can't uh, impact it the way I hoped to, which was by playing lockdown defense in center field and hitting um, hitting for both hitter, you know average and power and driving in game-winning runs and uh, doing all these dynamic things I could do on the field, but realizing that, you know what, I can still do so many dynamic things off the field. Mm-hmm. And when I was able to embrace that and accept that, um, I was never, I was never mad at the game of baseball. Mm-hmm. You know, the situation was tough, was tough to handle. Um, but I love this game so much. I know I'm meant to be in this game, and um, I owe it to myself to keep pushing forward in the game. And yeah, I still sit there and I watch these guys. I watch some of my best friends uh, play in the big leagues, and I'm like, yeah, I should be out there. But mm-hmm. um, I'm quickly reminded that I'm still getting to do something that I love. I'm still making an impact, and I'm still uh, contri- you know, contributing in such a powerful way. Yeah, and you still made it to the big leagues, but in yeah. a completely different way than yes. you probably imagined. Yep. What was it like when the Arizona Diamondbacks decided to draft you in the 34th round? Uh, it was, a, it was a, special, a special moment for sure. Um, you know, I, I think as we were approaching that, I was watching, you know, my best friends get drafted and mm-hmm. start their pro careers and, and, and experience these like life changing moments. And I remember I was driving home from rehab um, 
with my father and uh, I get a call from Tim Esme and he goes, hey, I, uh, I want to run something by you um, and I need to know if you're on board with it. But mm-hmm. there is a lot of talk of a few different teams that want to um, potentially draft you in the draft. And um, one in particular is the Arizona Diamondbacks who are very determined to do this and they want to do it in the 34th round. Like, would you be okay with that? And I, I, for a very few moment, few moments in my life, do I ever become speechless? Yeah. I, I didn't know what to say. I was so humbled and so honored, and um, it meant the world to me because it was such an honor to be able to um, say you're, you know, I was drafted once before, and I understand how meaningful it is, but to be able to do it again and to be with the Arizona Diamondbacks was a dream come true for me. And then to be able to have it symbolic to my uniform number, which was the number thirty-four. Um, just showed the the magnitude to it. And I think what was even more impressive about it and what made the day important, um, and I can, I'll can i share that in a second, was that it was much more than just a draft. Um, and what I mean by that is when the draft took place, I was, it was funny, I was actually in Jacksonville receiving an award um, mm. on behalf of the, the NCAA. And I'm pacing around uh, day three of the draft and I'm in the airport and I get a phone call from uh, the Diamondbacks and it's their, uh, it's their area scout Doyle Wilson. And he's, he said, Hey, I think we're going to do it right here. Just be ready. And then I get a call from, uh, Ray Montgomery, their scouting director at the time. And he goes, he just hopped on the phone and he said, Hey man, we're going to take you with the 34th pick here. So just be ready. So I'm literally waiting to board a flight and it is, they're looking at me like, yo, you need to get on this flight. And I'm like, I'm not doing it. Not yet. <laughs> and and I, was like, I, need, I was like, I need five minutes. Oh and uh, we heard my name called on on the uh, announcement. And two minutes later, Derek Hall's calling me saying, hey, Corey, congratulations. We just oh. selected you in the 34th round. And um, I started breaking down in tears. And I'm beaming with excitement. And my parents are getting emotional. And, and uh, I, I couldn't. I get emotional. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't thank them enough. And then I was like, I got to go. I got to get on this flight so I can get back to Arizona. And uh, wow. And hopped on a flight, but it was it was such an amazing thing. But I think what was what I alluded to, and which is the most powerful piece, is like this wasn't just a symbolic draft um, to be selected in the thirty fourth round and then move on. Like it was it was we want to draft you and bring you part of this organization, but we want you to be part of our front office. We want you to have a job here, and mm-hmm. when you're ready, it's here for you. And that being able to be told that, be able to see that like this team saw. Um, a ton of value that I could still bring to an organization was so meaningful to me. And it just makes the selection that much more uh, memorable and important to me because it wasn't just this, here you go, congratulations, good luck. It was, here you go, here's a job offer. Mm. We're putting you to work because we think you can make a difference. (laughs) And now what, eight years, nine? Yeah, I've started, uh, this is season, I just wrapped up season eight. Season eight. And I remember interviewing you like literally first week on the job. Yeah. And wow, here you are. And what's your official title? <laughs> so I'm our assistant director of pro scouting. So, or the longer version, assistant director of professional scouting. There we go. Um, and that encompasses all things with uh, oversight of our pro scouts around the country. We have 16 of them, um, and it also has it includes assistance with our roster management and construction, whether that's through like player acquisition and trade or free agency um, and stuff like that. So not only am I uh, given responsibility to oversee our pro scouting staff, but um, I essentially have a seat at the decision-making table, which is an amazing thing to be part of. Um, I have an amazing group around us. So we have a great brain trust that um, values our opinions. And to be part of that group is 
is quite surreal. Yeah. And what a season that you got to experience as well this past yeah. year. Yeah. Like. 2023 <laughs> was an amazing one. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, it took me a couple of days to, to totally accept it. You know, of course, like we wish we would have finished this thing off in the right way and that's to win the world series. But after you, um, after you take a few days to kind of digest what just took place, you realize in how amazing and cherishing this season was and how it's once in a lifetime. Um, you know, I hope we continue to do this. I hope we put together some more championship caliber teams, but you realize that 2023 was done with a very specific personnel that may not look the same going forward. Yeah. So you realize how special this was. It's once in a lifetime. And, um, and so I can't, I can't really put into a ton of words how much I cherish it. But additionally, what it does too, is it also makes you hungry for more. Mm-hmm. Um, we got there. Um, the job's not done. Um, it was an amazing run. I hope we made Arizona proud and every Diamondback fan across the country and the world very proud. Um, but I'm, I also hope that you guys understand that it has left us with this desire for more. And we're going to keep pushing the envelope forward to, to get over the top. You the know, fans are hungry for more too. Yeah, let me say, it's one thing to get. It's one thing to get there, and don't get me wrong. It's very yeah. special because getting to the World Series is is quite the feat. Mm-hmm. But we want we want the the next step, and that's I, to win it. I don't know. I feel like I am talking to a future GM over here like, <laughs> or manager. Just the way that you speak is that in the cars or future? I mean, you're very goal oriented, so I know yeah. you already have like your five year plan done. But is that you know, something that you're you're wanting? You know, I think it's it's something that I, I always think about. I think I would love um, if eventually in my career I'm given an opportunity to um, to be a leader of a baseball operations department, um, and more importantly, try to put together a winning organization from that from that position. Um, that is definitely a goal of mine. Um, it's something that I, I keep at the back of my mind. I know that it's there. I know I want to work as hard as I can to get to that point and, and put myself in the best position to, you know, check off all the boxes to be qualified for that. Cause I think that's extremely important. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the part that I think is important about this, cause this question I think is really, really important for anybody who is in their, their career or is very goal oriented or has aspirations of reaching very, um, very lofty goals is that as much as like, I keep that as a, as a, pillar for me mm-hmm. and I want to lead a baseball operations department and I want to lead an organization um, and hopefully lead a championship caliber organization um, I also understand in order for me to get there I have to check off the goals beforehand and part of that is dominating the job I'm in today um, and mm-hmm. that is something that I keep at the forefront every single day I wake up and step into the office is that if I want to get to my ultimate goals and reach the ultimate success rates, which is re, you know winning a World Series, which is all of our goal, I have to be able to dominate the job. And right now, dominating an assistant director or professional scouting job is what I'm doing. And it's it's the same aspect you mentioned being goal oriented. It's it's the stepping stones to getting there. Like in order, if I want to get to the, like the big goal goal one needs to be accomplished and that's to dominate that job. And then when they give me a new job, I dominate that job and then so on and so forth. And eventually if I do that and I, and I do that successfully and I, and I put in um, what I feel is the time and the effort and the, the, the quality of work to do so I'll get there. But mm-hmm. it's, it goes back to, um, you know, the circumstances don't matter. It's up to you to keep pushing yourself forward. And if I don't accomplish goal number one, I'm not getting to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the way I look at life. And so as much as yes, it's easy for me to give you the simple answer that yes, I hope one day that I am yeah. um, a general manager for um, a, and overseeing a baseball operations group and leading a championship caliber team. But I also know that in order to get there, I need to dominate today and I need to dominate the role I'm in and set a good example for the people around me. Wow. 
Well, in the midst of dominating your role and everything you're doing with the Arizona Diamondbacks, you also have Project 34, which we've also partnered with yep. here at State 48. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? And you have some things coming up, too, that we can plug the audience with. Yeah, so Project 34 is a nonprofit foundation that we launched back in 2018 that uh, it has like one simple mission or it's one overarching goal is to positively impact the lives of those and families with who are living with a spinal cord injury. And um, the inception of this really came from a group of friends, uh, you know, of mine, Trevor Williams uh, mm -hmm. specifically, um, and then a few other friends of mine between Trevor, uh, his wife, Jackie, um, my other buddy, Tanner Bush, and his wife, Megan, um, another friend of ours that was part of ASU Baseball, Sam Serbo, and so on. And we've now grown our foundation to a larger board member group um, that includes other ex-teammates like Andy Workman and so on and so forth. But we came up with this idea based on, like, my journey. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier in the pod that um, I have this amazing support group. And at the end of the day, like, yes, the ball's in my court, and I have to push myself to get better and and capitalize on what I have in front of me, but you need a support system. And it definitely takes a village, especially with a spinal cord injury. And when I was going through my rehab process in the hospital, in rehab facilities, it became abundantly clear that I'm very fortunate to have the support system I had that allowed me to go back and get my degree, that allowed me to learn how to drive again, that allowed me to have independence again, that it has allowed me now to live on my own again and charge through life the way I do and have this uh, ability to find fulfillment in my life. Um, it became very clear that I'm in the minority here, mm -hmm. that so many people out there don't have the resources, they don't have the support group to help them just get out of bed or help them go to rehab. And when you realize this, you put it in perspective, there's a huge community here for us to help. And we hatched this idea over dinner um, that we mm -hmm. wanted to launch this nonprofit foundation that focus was on raising funds for people with spinal cord injuries to help them with their medical costs, their medical bills, medical supplies, mm -hmm. um, medical equipment, like, you know, just finding someone to get the proper wheelchair um, that fits them. You know, they're sitting in this thing every day. You want to find something that fits them and is, is um, optimal for them. Helping people pay for their uh, therapy and their rehab facilities, wow. um, whole modifications to help with independence. Um, we do it all. We cover the whole the whole spectrum within the spinal cord injury community, and it's been an amazing ride. Um, you know, we've given at this stage now we're a little over five years in, going on year six. We've given out um, over two hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of grants. Wow. We've helped over a hundred individuals um, live a fulfilling life, and that's all. That's what we we feel we wanted to be part of. We wanted to build this community so that every individual that we help understands that they're not alone and that they have us as their support group so that um, at the end of the day, like they have the opportunity to go chase down their dreams. And my my journey, my career, my life is, is why we do that because I've been given amazing opportunities to go out and I have to be the one who goes out and pursues them, but I'm able to do that because of the people around me. I'm able to have this fulfilling life because of that. And it's only right that we can do what we can if we have this platform to help to help others. Because whether it's you, it's me, or any individual who has any sort of thing going on in life, there should be no reason why they don't get to chase their dreams the way they want to. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, we see that very often in this world that like not a lot of people have the resources or the opportunities um, or the support groups to do it. And if we can help this community specifically, help the spinal cord community every chance we can, it's a no-brainer for us. And so mm -hmm. it's been an amazing run so far. We're only growing. We're only getting better. Um, it's actually pretty fun to share, but our uh, our, our uh, 
rate of return on grant applicants has been amazing from like year one to now. We went from receiving like eight grants in a calendar year to where now we have four grant periods that we review over 50 grants per period. So you're looking at now we're receiving at least 200 plus grant applications every single year. So it speaks volumes to A, people recognizing we do good work and that we offer these amazing um, community and support, but also shed lighting on how robust this community actually is for help. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, a, you know, every time we get support, every time we get uh, additional people believing what we're doing, you just can imagine the the impact it makes for somebody. Absolutely. And um, we try to share that as much as we can on social media. You'll see us regularly posting people at, at their rehab facility or a home modification, like we're doing a home modification, uh, bathroom modification in, uh, wow. in the Phoenix area that we can't wait to share that is going to literally transform someone's life to where wow. they went from not being able to even use their shower or roll under their sink or even get into their bathtub to a fully roll-in shower, accessible bathroom that literally transforms their entire morning routine. Wow. So, um it's been an amazing process for us. And, and if you look at our socials, our Instagram, you'll see the amazing stories we've touched. And that's just the surface. The amount we do is amazing. Um, and then alluding to like what we have coming up, um, every single year we do a uh, we do a golf tournament in January here mm-hmm. in Phoenix at Papago Golf Course. Uh, and this year for the fourth annual golf tournament, um, we have it happening January 27th. Um, we're almost completely sold out, um, which is amazing. And we sell out really fast. We've been live for about a week with registration and to see the fact that we almost sell out this fast is amazing, but we could always use more sponsors. We could always use more support because the, every dollar that we raise goes back to every individual. And I think that's one of the most proud things we say is that our board member group is of 11 people mm-hmm. and every dollar we raise goes back to every individual. So you can, you can imagine how impactful that is. It's, I get, I get really emotional thinking about this. <laughs> I get really emotional. Um, and I could talk for days about what we do because it's amazing. I, get, I love being able to share like my own triumphs and my own goals and my own successes and failures in life. But this is probably the most amazing thing I get to share is that we've- You we've, just lit up. <laughs> we've started this incredible foundation that's only getting better. And um, when you see the work actually take place and you see- what happens when you provide someone a grant, something as simple as three months of rehab, it's it's mind blowing how emotional you get because you just change mm. someone's life. And I think like the, the part um, that I think I'm most proud of is, and I know we as a group are most proud of, is that we're not just this foundation that approves a grant, supplies them with the needs of the money and then move on. We've built this community so that every individual has this resource within Project 34 to connect. So think of it as like, um, lack for a better a better example, Reddit, right? Like yeah. this fun community. Think of it as like, we have this now support group that we've built to where every individual we help and their families, they can connect with us, they can connect with other individuals and families with spinal cord injuries and they can talk, they, can, they have allies now. Um, and so we aren't just this foundation handing out grants. We are this foundation that's built this um, incredible community that we're only growing. Mm. I was going to say, I mean, I know you're passionate about baseball, what you do with the Arizona Diamondbacks, but you talking about this, you can truly, like, you lit up. Yeah. You made me emotional kind of just, like, <laughs> thinking about how many people are impacted and it's truly putting, you know, the pain to purpose. Yeah. You know, it, truly. It, it, just, it just means more when you realize that, we're all capable of greatness, every single one of us. It's all within us. We obviously 
it's up to us to push forward with that, to find the motivation and determination and the belief in yourself to do it. But every single person is capable of doing something great. And for no reason should the reason why they don't be something out of their control. If it's up to them and they don't want to do it, that's their call. Mm -hmm. But it should never be because they suffered a, a, a traumatic injury like a spinal cord injury and they can't push forward. I'm living proof that you can. Mm -hmm. And there's many people out there just like me that are living proof of dominating life. And when you can help that person get there, it just, it makes you along for the ride and it makes what you do pretty special. Mm. Well, either we're going to see you a manager, GM, on the news, ESPN, or a motivational speaker speaking to like thousands, or both. We can <laughs> probably, have probably, both. We could probably mix it all in. Politician, you name it, you're hired. <laughs> Your story is amazing, but the way that you carry yourself too. Um, Thank you. It's unforgettable. And let's not make another 10 years of seeing well, each we other. Won't, we won't. I do want to add, I do want to add something, um, you know, just like a little bit, if you, if, if I can have Absolutely. the mic for yeah. just a couple of minutes with, uh, you know, into my life and my journey. Um, you know, I've shared a lot today and I've shared a lot of the details, but I, I, I want to go a bit further into, um, you know, we, you hear a lot of words like determination and goal oriented and, uh, perseverance and just this willingness to succeed. But what I want to highlight more than ever is failure. Um, I want to share with the audience and I want to share with anybody who's listening that failure is part of life. Adversity, all of it, however you want to phrase it, is part of life. And I've learned and I, I share with everybody that it's not the adversity and it's not the failure that define who you are. It's how you get back up and handle the adversity. And shedding light into my life, I gave you guys the example of like brushing my teeth, right? And it mm -hmm. took 25 to 30 days. It took me 40 days to learn how to put my shirt on. It took me two years to learn how to drive. It, you know, it, it took me, you know, many, many months to learn how to just be able to use a fork or hold a cheeseburger by myself. And now the first time I did that, that cheeseburger tasted amazing. <laughs> um, I never could let it go. But what I, what I want to share is that don't be afraid of the failure. Don't be afraid of the unknown. Don't be afraid to, to not know when you're going to accomplish your goal because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. If you keep waking up every day and push yourself to your limits, you're going to get there. And I promise you that because you look at this stuff, and I alluded to it with brushing my teeth, but like 40 days. you imagine failing for 39 days before I learned how to put my T-shirt on? Simple T-shirt. I could have given up at any moment. I didn't know when it was going to happen. But I finally got there, and it dawns on you that it, even when things look dark, even when you don't fully have this clear roadmap, which I understand everybody wants this, like, clean, crystal clear roadmap to what their future looks like 10 years from now or 15 years from now or even tomorrow, mm -hmm. don't be afraid when it's not that clear. Don't be afraid to t take the next step forward and push yourself. Um, I'm living an example of that, and I'm living proof that my ultimate goal, and I, and I, I say it every time I, I, I get a chance to, but like my ultimate goal is to be able to walk again. I know I'm going to get there. I don't know when that's going to be, but in order for me to get to that ultimate goal, I got to hit every other smaller goal in front of it. And, and just because it's deemed a smaller goal in the grand scheme of like, it's a build-up goal to like the ultimate goal of being able to walk, every goal is significant and has equal value. And as I, as I share my story with you guys and share the insights of a, of a grueling injury that I think my story shows a lot of triumph or at least shows a lot of success. Um, I can't understate how important it is that I'm able to get to those points because I embrace the fact that failure exists too. Mm -hmm. And that I'm, I'm comfortable knowing that I may not figure it out right away. I may get knocked down, but I'm getting back up. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm, I hear, I challenge everybody who's listening and I challenge who the people around me that be the person who gets back up. Don't be the person that stops. Don't be the person that gives up because every one of us is, is capable of doing amazing things. However you want to see that. And we're able to fulfill amazing lives, but we don't do that if we don't get back up and you have me as your support. You have amazing people around you as support that as we challenge ourselves through life, hop on for the ride. I do want to say that there is no doubt in my mind that you will walk again just by the person that you are and the way that you portray yourself and yeah. most importantly, the mindset and that failure aspect is one thing, myself included, and a lot of people can probably relate to. Uh, the fear of that is what stops them from pursuing the smallest things. But when you put into perspective of brushing your teeth, putting your shirt on, just like the day-to-day -day things that we take for granted, it's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's it allows you to put into context that um, every goal is worth celebrating. Every goal is worth being proud of, despite how big or small it is. Because for 99% of the world, putting on a t-shirt is a mind-numbing task that takes zero effort. And for the 1% that it takes monumental effort, mm -hmm. you learn to be very appreciative of what you have and not what you don't have. Because I'm also living proof of that. 75% of my body doesn't work. But I'm still, I, the 25% that does and whatnot, I have made the most of. And you're looking at someone who is living their dream, working their dream job, charging through life, and enjoying every minute of it while understanding there's much more to go. And be willing to impact your community in a positive way. Mm, period. Well, I can't wait to continue to watch your story unfold. And Ed Milet, if you are listening, because he's a listener of our show, <laughs> you need to book this guy. Everyone does, just because your story needs to be heard over and over and over again. Um, but it's such a joy, and I know for Nick Cindy behind here as well, like we get to view this now and watch everything unfold and watch you continue to shine and accomplish everything you want. Thank you. So we are and so grateful for this time with you. Yep. Truly Thank inspiring, you. man. Thank Truly. you. I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, Mutual, mutual respect, mutual love, um, you know, what you guys are doing, you know, it's funny. Like you look back at this, right? Like, you know, just look back like six, seven years ago, you guys were yeah, t-shirt brand, t-shirt company. Yeah. We got an opportunity to, you know, and some rally backs at a baseball game. Yeah. Too, you know? And now you look at now and what state 48 is doing. It's, it's much more than shirts. You mm -hmm. guys are changing lives with what you guys do in the community. You guys are changing lives with the foundation that you guys have launched. You know, you guys are changing lives with this podcast and, and being able to bring amazing guests on, you know, it, it's just, it's so fun to watch what you guys are able to do here because you look at where you guys started and where you guys are at now, you guys, you guys are killing it. And, you know, our Arizona and this, this region specifically is a much better region for having you guys in it. So. Wow. Well, I can't Greatly take that credit. That. But yeah, you can take some, Lisa. <laughs> I'll Absolutely. Take, I'll take a little bit. I'll take a little bit of that credit. But again, we thank greatly you appreciate so that. Yes. Seriously. Yep. All right. Well, everyone watching, you got to rewatch this again and again and again. But until then, we'll see you next week.